Hello and welcome to For Book's Sake. I'm Heather Roberts. And I am Veronica Adams and we are 1852 Media. We are. and We are going to be talking today about some bad publishing friends. <laughs> oh my. Yeah. So there has been an update. This goes back to a story that happened, uh, gosh, what, 2021, something like that. Yeah. Uh, actually, it could have been. Even earlier than that, I think. I think think this started to make headlines during the pandemic at some point. But uh, it it predates lockdown and all of that. Okay, I'm sorry. It was first published, I believe, in like 2016, 2015, something like that. So, seven, eight years into this now. Yes, it's it's been a minute. Uh, The lawsuit has has been a couple years old. That's what I was thinking Mm -hmm. of. So this is lawsuits usually go. Yeah. What we're talking about is what is it? What is it called? Bad art friend. (laughs) Uh, That is the name of the New York times magazine feature article that was written about this particular dispute uh, between these two writers um, who met in a sort of writing workshop in, I believe in Boston Uh, or somewhere in Massachusetts. So the story goes, (laughs) let's try to, let's try to talk about the basic facts. Set the scene. Okay. So that there's two women here, what Larson and Dorland. Okay. Dorland had a, had, she had uh, a kidney. Sorry. She, she donated a, a kidney she to someone, right? donated a kidney. Thank you. That's what yes, I'm trying to say. Larson is a kidney. No. Dorland. Is Dorland. Thank you. Dorland. Oh, my gosh. How are we going to get That's what I was this? trying to say. How are we going to get through this? <laughs> Dorland is a kidney donor. Yes. Dorland is a kidney donor. Okay. And as part of that kidney donation process, yes. she had created a private Facebook group. And she, which of which... Uh, Larson was a member. She yes. didn't like post or anything like that. She was a lurker. You know, we're all yes. lurkers. It, it, you know, such as like, I, I am a, I am such a group lurker. You I am see such me in a your lurker. group. I am totally paying attention to what you're doing, even if I'm not engaging. I, yes, I'm a lurker. Me too. So Dorland, as part of her kidney donation process, she had actually she was part of like a chain of kidney donors. And she was writing, she wrote this letter and put it in this private Facebook group. And this letter was basically to the last person in the chain of the kidney donors. Because I guess when one person donates a kidney, then oftentimes like the wife or a spouse or whatever of the person will also donate a kidney. And then it's like, it's called this chain of so- you know, donors. Like people in like you donate a kidney and the recipient, someone related to them is inspired by your generosity and helping to save this person's life. So they then take it upon themselves to also make a donation in some way. And these people are all interconnected in their saving each other's lives and donating organs. Correct. Got it. Got it. So inspiring, but also maybe odd. Correct. So Dorland, the kidney donor herself, writes this letter 
like seemingly addressed to the last person in this kidney donor recipient who would okay. be the recipient okay. of this, the last person in the chain who maybe doesn't have any other family or friends who are, are going to continue on the chain of donation. Got it. Got it. I, I, it's not like super important, but it's not, I just wanted to be clear that it's not addressed to like a specific person. Okay. Right. It's addressed to this, it's this idea of someone who receives a donation, but has no one in their lives who might continue the generosity. Right. Yeah. So she writes this letter and Larson sees it and Larson is she's lurking because she's lurking and Larson is inspired to write this short story, which she entitles the kindest, which they don't talk about this in the um, opinion that I read. They don't like blatantly mention this particular point. <laughs> But I found it interesting that I guess a key portion of the letter that Dorlin wrote ended with kindly. And it was like kindly, like her name or whatever, like instead of sincerely or whatever. And then she names her short story, The Kindest. And I just, I thought that was an interesting thing. Okay. So in The Kindness... There's a kidney recipient that's not really happy to receive a letter from her living donor. And could be awkward. Yeah. And she eventually ends up in the story. Um, she ends up meeting the living donor, and the living donor is sort of like white savory and is very like it, it just like a it's sort of a critique upon the wrong reasons why somebody would give a kidney. If Karen you will. comes to mind. The, yeah. the archetype of the Karen, if you will. Somebody who's doing a it. A person in a space they don't belong in. A person and, taking yeah. up space in a way they don't deserve and, to. And like this person in the story does this good thing, but not necessarily for the right reasons. Yeah. And so that's sort of... that's Performative altruism and all of that. Yes. So... The kindness, then, is the short story that Larson wrote. In the story, she literally takes, in the first iterations of the story, I should say, she literally takes the letter that Dorlin wrote and uses it in her story. Like, basically verbatim. verbatim. Like, basically verbatim. Strike number one, Lurking Larson. I think in the original, like they do in the order, the summary judgment um, order opinion, rather. Oh, God, you broke out court documents for this. Oh, I read the whole summary judgment opinion. Ladies and gentlemen, Heather Roberts, (laughs) willing to dive into the court record when others are not. That's right. They actually count out the amount of words that were similar versus different in the first iteration of the story. That's relevant in a legal dispute. It absolutely is. And if I could go down to that portion, because I think this is relevant to our discussion for the authors who are listening to this, like, what do you, what is considered copyright? Like, what is the point? Look at it. it, Is art imitating life? Art imitating life? And at what point is art imitating life? Theft of someone else's story or intellectual property? Right. Yeah. So. Complaint. Let's hold on. We got to get down to the copyright things. Okay, so there's homegirl the, is looking at the docket right now. I can yes, just tell the concentration I mean. on her face. 
So there was the the two the 2016 Brilliance Audio Letter, right? Is what okay. they're calling the first iteration of the story. Got right? it. In it, the Dorlin letter is approximately 380 words, 81 words long. Of those 381 words, the 2016 letter copies verbatim approximately 100 and closely paraphrases approximately 50 more. So she, it's like, uh, the 2016 letter also follows an identical structure to the Dorlin letter, a paragraph introducing the donor, including information on race, age, and gender, a paragraph explaining how the donor discovered the need for kidney donation, a paragraph explaining the donor's traumatic childhood, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It like does the, it might not have those exact words that sh- was used in the original letter, but structure ha- is the same structure though. Structure is the same and approximately half of the words are the same. Are- either identical or very closely matching yes so yikes on bikes yikes on bikes so dorlin then um she finds out that larson is going to be publishing this story this is like pre-publication and she sends larson an email and is like hey i'd love to read it I guess she had heard through the grapevine that it was like, you know, inspired by her, right? Well, evidently, in you're the, the kind of donor who's writing a letter to someone else in your donor chain. I suspect you're also the kind of person who would be flattered at first to find out that someone is inspired and in writing a story related sure. to you. Sure, sure. This and- seems a little egotistical to me. She, so she wanted to read it. She was like, you know, hey, can you, you know, shoot it over to me when you're done? And um, Larson's like, yeah, yeah, I will. It's not quite done yet. And I don't want to send it out like unfinished, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so Dorland's like, okay. And I guess just doesn't really, you know, think about it from then on. Okay. Also noted that in the first iteration of the story that Larson wrote, um, the characters, the main character's name was Dawn. And Dorland's first name is also Dawn. So there's that. She later changed the first name of the character to be Rose, the kidney donor. (coughs) Excuse me. But yeah, the first version was the same first name as Dorland. So a little little creepy there. So a few days after that email exchange where she said she'd be happy to send it over once it's finished. Yeah. uh, Larson then like this, it was actually already to my understanding, it was already done. (laughs) So she like lied to her. So because it says in the complaint or in the opinion, it says a few days after that email exchange and a day after Audible published the first version of the audio recording. <laughs> so if Audible is publishing the first version of the audio recording, it's, it's been, been done, done for a minute. It's been done. It's been done and someone has had time to actually record the audio yeah. and do the performance yeah. and finalize those files and submit them to ACX so that Audible is publishing them. Like so that, yeah, Larson then contacts this company called Plimpton um, mm-hmm. that she used to, to get to 
to narrate, to do the narration. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Um, and requested that the story be re-recorded because the letter in the kindest quote unquote includes a couple sentences that I'd excerpt from a real life letter. And for ethical reasons, I'm uncomfortable keeping those lines in. So she then sent the company a revised iteration of the kindest, um, including a new letter in which much less of Dorland's original letter appears Although the letter structure and organization is pretty much the same. Also, the cat's out of the bag at this point because the first edition contains the roughly 50% identical letter. Yeah. And the character's name is Dawn. No, no, that wasn't in, that was pre-publication. Okay. So the revision from Dawn to Rose is pre-publication. Yeah. The people in her writing group were like, "Eh, that's too close. Okay. Two on the nose there. Yeah. But the letter is the almost 50% identical letter in the first version. Yeah. Okay. So, and then the second version, the re-recorded version of the story was published as an audiobook on Audible in October 2016. However, the original audiobook version, including the original letter, remained publicly available for purchase online. <laughs> so, Okay. So, and then, okay, so in the summer of 2017, Larson then submitted The Kindness, including the edited version of the letter. So we're talking iteration two to American short fiction, and they accepted it for print publication, and they included it in a print-bound collection of short stories that summer. And then a year later in May 2018, um, ASF America, uh, what is that? American short fiction ASF released an online version of the kindness. And that, that is where I believe Dorlin finally read it. So in like 2018, yeah. When it was released online. So it's been out in an audio version and included in a collection and she doesn't see it for almost two years after it's originally been published. Correct. So then in May of 2018, yeah, oh, I bet. May of 2018, the Boston Book Festival informed Larson that the kindness had won the, you know, this one city, one story competition. Okay. Homegirl is winning awards with this woman's story. Winning awards. Okay. No. Yes. And so then Larson then executes an agreement allowing the Boston Book Festival to use the story in like there are related events for the one city, one story competition and things like that. Um, basically it means that that story will now be distributing thousands of copies around the greater Boston area. Okay. It did not require any payment to Larson for use of the story or any compensation. Okay. Well, no, so but how many people read it and then went and bought Larson's other stuff? That is right. That is a question that is not really addressed here. Right. So then in early June 2018, Dorlin reads the online version. And she recognizes similarities. And of course she does. My, my uh, paraphrasing is she hits the motherfucking roof. I mean, I don't know how else to, to describe what Dorlin does other than she loses her mind. In my opinion, rightfully so. Yeah. I mean, she's mad. Yeah. She contacts every single person that she possibly can think of. She contacts the co-editor of ASF, Mm -hmm. you know, talking about plagiarism and the kindness. She 
contacts, you know, the Boston Book Festival. She's hot. She's, she's hot. justifiably hot. She wants everyone to know that she's been done wrong and that she's actually a victim here and that this story everyone has loved and that has been well received is actually uh, yes. a ripoff of her own personal story. She's contacting people on Twitter with direct messages, emails to people like. I know when something like this happens to you, this may not be the best way to handle it. Like, right. (laughs) So like apparently Larson lists approximately 30 individuals and entities contacted by Dorland. Um, Dorland doesn't deny the contacts, but notes that some of the individuals are leaders or members of the named organization. So like, right. For of like ACF, she would like right. you know like fifteen people. I'm just making that number up, but like yeah, yeah, a yeah. bunch of people that are part of that organization. So it's not like she's just randomly messaging people. But sure, sure. Yeah, she hit Jeff Bezos for being the CEO I mean, <laughs> of Amazon and owner of Audible. Right. Perhaps. <laughs> so then in June, she's still like reeling. Right, she's gone on yes. her email campaign. Right. She emails the Breadloaf Writers Conference, which is a writing program that Larson had won a fellowship in in 2017. Oh, okay. She she inquires whether a 2017 tuition fellow, does not specifically name Larson, had applied using the kindness as part of her portfolio. Portfolio. So she doesn't like specific. She's just talking about the work. She's just, you know. Okay. And then states that the kindness included a letter that had plagiarized, plagiarized Dorland's work and et cetera. In Ju- so then still in June, 2018, Dorland registers the copyright for her Facebook letter. So this is where we're at. So then after people are receiving these emails, right from Dorland and the organizations are like, Hey, Larson, <laughs> what's going on? <laughs> right? Question here. Question. Uh, this, is, this is unusual. These peculiar things continue to happen. What's up with that? Yeah, we're, we're getting some info here. This looks similar. What's going on? Um, I guess the one of the legal teams, actually, they, they sent an email to Larson, and they asked her to consider the possibility of making changes to the story based on what they hear from its lawyer about the const- what constitutes the threshold for plagiarism. Let me guess. She rejected the call to consider making changes to the story. No, she re- she didn't, actually. Okay, so oh. she agreed to rewrite. So on June 13, 2018, okay. she altered the structure of the letter in the kindness and removed almost all the, lang- the language that appeared in the Dorland letter. So we're on iteration three of the letter okay okay but so then like the asf takes down the kindness and you know they start like things are starting to you know her book's starting to get short story is starting to get taken down places they note in here that larson still received the full 300 dollars due to her under the asf contract we are not talking about money here, people. Like, just to be clear, I can't really see where Larson gained much, if any, monetary financial, like, 
compensation for directly this, or, from her work directly from case, the context what what income did she generate by virtue of the publicity of the kindness or the kindest and also yeah. maybe from the controversy itself because like that happens too yeah all so, press is good press i i guess i guess so larson made the revisions we are in iteration three of this letter Okay, yes. in the story. Mm-hmm. And then Dorlin, Dorlin's, you know, made aware by the Boston Book Festival that, you know, she's made changes, et cetera, right. et cetera. And Dorlin writes to express her dismay that they're moving forward with printing the revised version, um, stating that I wouldn't have been at all surprised if Boston Book Festival had found it repugnant to grant a writer who committed plagiarism such a wonderful platform. You know, et cetera, et cetera. Basically, okay. like, you know, she's still mad that they're giving her a platform at all. Well, she's got a point. Yeah. she woman did plagiarize her. Admits to it, in fact. I uh-huh. mean, admits that she did. And has in- now twice struggled to reduce the amount of plagiarism she's committed. Not to eliminate it in its entirety, but to just simply reduce the amount of plagiarism that she's engaged in. Correct. <sighs> So, and Dorlin also, she's also upset because the kindest contained factual inaccuracies with respect to the process of kidney donations and in the tone in which it puts out, it basically would discourage someone from organ donation. Okay. And so Dorlin, I think also has a point in which she's upset that her original letter that was meant to like be this, you know, beautiful, kind thank you letter sort of like, you know, beautiful kind moment between Mm -hmm. her and a kidney recipient has been now taken and repurposed into a book that is essentially going to discourage organ donation at all. Well, my understanding is, and, and you have done way more research on this story than I have. So please correct me if I'm out of line with this, but my understanding is that, Larson's story is a satirization of Dorland entering this space as a donor right. and yes. expecting a certain amount of gratitude and warm embrace from the recipient community. Right. It, it has like privileged white savior vibes to it almost. Yeah. Which is really icky. That is really what the story is about. So, I mean, she was inspired. (laughs) Say that she was inspired. Right. Right. So, and And she's making more of a point about that particular element of it rather than just the idea of donating to save lives. I mean, let's think about this. It's a Facebook post, (laughs) but she made a Facebook post. That was then repurposed and yeah. what have you changed multiple times to right. get it away from what the original exact mm-hmm. wording was to, you know, satisfy her. And she is, you know, emailing everybody under the sun and right. then she in mid-June reaches out to a reporter at the Boston Globe. <laughs> to talk about this so i mean this is this is next level petty okay guys like this is the fact 
we can get into that later. But like this is a Facebook post and a short story that is not commercially like huge. We're not talking about any sort of commercial financial monetary gain here. I, I just need to make that clear. So then Dorlin has a lawyer <laughs> and as uh, it starts writing cease and desist notes, letters to, like, as you to do, Boston, as you do to the Boston book festival and um, you know, threatening legal action. She writes to the head of Larson's then employer um, files a complaint of professional misconduct mm-hmm. against Larson. Right. right. Because she worked at a uh, at the original place where they met that that sort of um, it's called what is it called Grub Street in Boston. It's like a a writing workshop place where you go to like meet other writers and it's a creative space for writers. Correct. Yeah. Okay. And Larson worked there. Okay. Well. So she <clears throat> behaving unethically as a writer and working in a creative space for writers could be a professional conflict of interest in a big way. Sure. Sure. Um, she complained that Larson had physically ghosted Dorlin at a conference and called for Larson to be suspended with or without pay. Um, so then there's, you know, the, the Boston book festival attorney sent her attorney, a copy of the revised version, the, the third version of the kindest. And the, Dorland's attorneys responded that she was dissatisfied with the revisions. What a shock. Shocking. So then Larson now has counsel. Okay. Um, Dorland has counsel. We both lawyered up. Which is just proof that there is a lawyer out there who will take every single case. Absolutely. Every pot has a lid. Every case has a lawyer. And now Dorlin is saying that she wants acknowledgement of her contribution to the story with her name cited and information about how to donate a kidney and $5,000, which only five grand, which Larson hasn't made any, she's made $300 by my count. Only five grand. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Okay. So then they find out that Dorlin had contacted the Boston globe. Right. And so they called, you know, her, Larson's attorney calls um, Dorland's attorney and is like, there's no point in discussing settlement if there's going to be a negative article in the Boston Globe. Like, we're not settling with you. Right. Valid. Okay, that is right. valid. And they reply, like, if we get everything we'll want, we'll give our full effort to kill the story. Yeah, okay. But this is a small claim in most jurisdictions. You can't even get into regular court with this amount of money. Like, right. What? Yeah. And so in July of 2018, the Boston Globe ran the story. Okay. And the article contains quotes from the Dorland letter, the 2017 version, and the 2016 version. And they're both quoted in the article, uh, but nobody calls Larson a plagiarist in that particular article. Curious. Yeah. In August of 2018, Boston Book Festival prints 30,000 copies of the revised, third revised version of The Kindest. Okay. Okay. The, the overhauled letter version. The, yes, the final, final yeah, version. Yeah, yeah. There's 
a suggestion. <laughs> so then it's they inform Larson that the one city, one story thing, it's being canceled as a result of the ongoing dispute with Dorland. And they actually threaten and say possibly that they might be coming after Larson for the cost of printing the kindest, which is like approximately 10 grand. But eventually Larson wasn't actually required to compensate them for their costs. But there, there was a moment there where she thought maybe she was going to have she to. She would be responsible for that. She would be responsible for that. And so, yeah, there, this is, this is going on. So after discovery had commenced in this action. So I find it very interesting to note that Larson then sues Dorlin. So Larson who wrote, Larson who wrote the story, she initiated this action Uh that that we're talking about January 30th, 2019. Okay. (laughs) She brings claims against Dorlin for intentional, intentional interference. Of course, it's a tort. Of course. Intentional interference with Larson's advantageous business relationship with ASF, American, you know, writing place. Because it didn't make money doesn't mean it didn't make her money. Intentional interference with Larson's advantageous business relationship with uh, Boston Book Festival. Yeah. Defamation and sought a declaratory judgment of non-infringement. Okay. So... After discovery had commenced in this action, so the lawsuits filed, you know, um, right, right. actually parties are exchanging information or fighting over why they shouldn't have to exchange information. Yes. Yeah. 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 Dorlin then contacts a writer at the New York times <laughs> to further publicize this dispute with Larson. Why not? I mean, I mean, why not? Why not? So the New York times, this is when it became viral. This is when it went viral and everybody started talking about it. Granted, we were still in the panorama. So the article was published October 10th, 2021. You know, people were working from home for the most part still. Um, I mean, there's still a lot of people who are, but, you know, this was... This Some was of us before. worked from home before it was cool. Exactly. But this was before the mandates of returning to the office were even yes, being yes, thought yes. of in the little glimmer. Okay. The long form article was titled, Who is the Bad Art Friend? And that is where the whole name comes from. Okay. Who is the Bad Art Friend? Uh, they include Larson's early texts that had come out in Discovery. Apparently, she was friends with some semi famous or famous writers and had some texts between them that were allegedly disparaging to Dorlin. All sorts of stuff. Allegedly. Well, you know what I'm... Mm. We are on the interwebs. So, and these people are apparently litigious. Um, so, over nothing. It's a catch-all disclaimer. Listen, you can probably look up the texts in the docket and see them and read them for yourself and decide whether or not you think allegedly applies. Absolutely. But Heather's saying allegedly. I'm and, saying allegedly. Like, I have not. So. Read, I have not read the text um, okay. in depth, okay. so that's why I'm saying allegedly because right. I'm I'll, not. I'll allegedly. stop busting your stones. Okay. So Larson, she, by the way, kept her job at Grub Street, Grub Street for three years. Whoa, really? Yeah. Okay. She was terminated after the New York Times story was published. Okay. In 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 the era of cancel culture, or. Actions have consequences. Yeah. 
Which one do However we go you down? Frame, you can frame that one of two ways. Wow, yeah. Gr- well, until this came out, uh, this and Grub Street until the stated, New York Times until the New York Times yes. magazine ran its story. Yes. Attribute okay. at Grub Street attributing their change in organizations employment decisions to quote unquote certain documents relating to this lawsuit that recently came to light. I believe it's because of the task, the texts. Okay. Okay. I have not, they were, they were published in the New York times story. It's behind a paywall friends. Okay. So that's why I didn't read it. I could go back into the docket and pull it up, but um, pull up the, cause I'm journalist. It's in there. A public service in this country. I know. But anyway, so that's why I don't know what the texts say, but I have heard people espouse upon the texts and apparently they were not putting people in the best light. And so I okay. can understand if you're in like a writer's space, right. And you're supposed to be like this supportive writing environment mm-hmm. as Grub Street is supposed to be. If you have an employee who is not doing that. Being that, inclusive or welcoming of all people who might want to yeah. engage with Grub Street. Sure. Yeah. So then Dorlin has counterclaimed. So like I said, Larson. Naturally. Yeah. She counterclaims for copyright infringement, as one does, declaratory relief and injunctive relief under copyright law. Yes. So now what I'm reading and what has come before the court is uh, dual motions for summary judgment. So, well, Dorlin's pending motion for summary judgment Okay. I'm sorry. Banjos are playing in my head right now. Yeah, I know. I know. Dorlin has a pending motion for summary judgment and she requests entry of judgment on her remaining counts against Larson as well as Larson's remaining counts against Dorlin. Okay. Uh And then Larson has a pending cross motion for partial summary judgment requesting Uh entry. Yeah. I will spare you the legal mental maneuvering that that requires okay because it's a lot of i bet it's impressive though it's it's well you know summary judgment it's it can be very confusing Uh, suffice it to say that summary judgment can be issued summary judgment is a final judgment in the case that the the judge makes a ruling before a jury could ever hear the, the case at trial correct And so, yeah, and it's when the facts are not in dispute, when there is enough facts that are not in dispute that the outcome could be determined. I guess that's the best way to to say it based upon the law. So then they go through a whole massive discussion (laughs) about this, and they essentially come to the conclusion that the third letter, which is the only real letter that's at issue here. Okay. So yeah, she did have that 2016 and 2017 letter, right? But that's not really what we're talking about here. In, no, in it's this, not the most widely published version of the letter. It's not the she, most, yeah, it's not the most widely published version. The first one. Yeah. And it's also been changed, right? It's It's been changed multiple times. Yeah, substantially. Yeah. And so that letter doesn't infringe upon the Dorland letter. It, they find that the 2018 letter is not substantially similar to the door. Why letter. wouldn't they? Yeah. And been completely overhauled. Right. That the first letter is, is in fact, you know, the, the, 
Based on the documents before the court, the 2016 letter took material of substance and value from the Dortland letter in such a quantity and in such a matter that points of similarity outweigh the points of dissimilarity. So yes, that one would indeed. Even the court saying alleged plagiarism, not actual plagiarism. Well, okay, so here's the thing. Larson maintains that the 2016 letter was published by accident and without her consent. She appears to suggest... Of course she does! She appears to suggest, but never explicitly argues, that the 2016 letter cannot be subject to a copyright infringement claim. She offers no evidence to support her assertion that the release of the story on August 3rd, 2016 occurred without her consent, or to suggest that she had not given Plimpton, the member of the yeah, people yeah, that yeah, yeah. published it. The right to publish the 2016 version of the story. As such, this court will consider Darlin's, Dorland's copyright infringement claim against the brilliance version of The Kindest, which is the, the third, third version. version. Yeah. yeah. So that's why we're, we're talking about that. It's just wild. So wild. Okay. Man. So then Larson contends that even if any of the Larson letters are found to be substantially similar to the Dorlin letter, that she had fair use to use them. And there's a whole fair use doctrine. Oh, she did not. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. She went. of Of course she did. Her lawyers would absolutely do this. But like the nerve. The nerve. Uh, Because, okay, so the fair use doctrine is a mixed question of law and fact, okay? Yes, it is. It It's very case by case. (laughs) And the court, so the Copyright Act directs, directs the court to determine whether use of the work for purposes such as criticism, comment, news reporting, teaching, scholarship research is non-infringing fair use by considering a couple of factors. Uh, one is the purpose and character of the use, including yes. whether the use is commercial in nature or for mm-hmm. non for like nonprofit educational purposes. Right. Right. Two is distinguished from parody and things like that, where you correct have, like, when you have uh, first thing that comes to mind with parody is recording artists, right? Like Weird Al. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. And music, <clears throat> but yeah, exactly. So totally different analysis for, for, for something like that. Yeah. Yes. Um, and also like, you know, are you using it to critique or comment upon it? Right. You know, right. is that, what is the purpose of it? Exactly. So two would be the nature of the copyrighted work. Uh, three is the amount and substantiality of the portion used in relation to the copyrighted work as a whole. Of course. So yeah, there, yeah, yeah. How, much, how much did you need to accomplish what you've done? Yeah. Right. Um, whereas the kindest, like it only used the letter. It didn't have the whole, you know, the whole thing wasn't the letter. Well, in 2016, it was approximately 50% of the letter. But by the time we get to court on this case, and we're talking about the third version, it's but right, but even it was nothing. it wasn't the whole short story. You know what I right. mean? Like there was more right. to the short story. It used the letter, but still, yeah. Okay. And then the effect of the use upon the potential market for or value of the copyrighted work. Okay. Okay. So these factors are all to be considered together, and then they go through and talk about every single the balance factor. of the evidence and what the yeah the yes. the, the, the case the evidence that's in dispute, the evidence that's not in dispute. And they basically say with the first uh, prong, whether it like, you know, the the question is whether it adds something new or with further purpose, you know, whether it's 
It's transformative. The new work is transformative from the original work. And the court. Yeah, the court says that the law is on Larson's side here. And because she. It's commentary. It's commentary upon the letter. And the fact that it actually. Side note somebody should let our buddy Nate know this is satire. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Right? Exactly. Continue. But yeah, it and they hold they use the whole point that the story read in its entirety does not mirror the tone of Dorland's letter, um, right. and the story's tone to to build on Dorland's thoughts, emotions, and feelings about altruistic kidney donation. In fact, it's like a commentary and a critique upon it, yes. which goes yes. to her benefit here in a legal moment. <laughs> so, Absolutely interesting there. And they're saying, like, you know, it's Don't difficult. Don't forget to be snarky. Yeah, it's difficult to read it as anything other than a criticism of an altruistic yes. donor's choice to reach out to a kidney recipient. So context is important. Very much so. And, yeah, so that's basically they find that it does not um, infringe. But it is, in fact, a fair use. Yeah. Um, so... I'm get, yeah, the, 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 the finding fair use. Yeah. They find fair use. So I'm just trying to find the last little in some. There we go. Uh, because three of the four factors, including the most important fourth factor, weigh in favor of the defense. The court finds that the at issue versions of the kindest are protected by fair use. Yes. Which is interesting. So Dorlin should have sued as soon as she read the first published version rather than waiting and demanding that Larson rewrite or substantially right. change the story. Potentially, yes. But and even, then, to... even then, Larson may have had a fair use defense. Correct. Because she used it as political commentary. And yeah. So I find that that's interesting. It, it is funny. So Dorlin argued that Larson's bad faith personal comments about Dorlin in group chats with friends and other writers yeah. foreclose her um, ability to use fair use as a defense. She and, was mean in private text messages, so she waived her right to use the defense. Yes, yes. And it's, <sighs> well, because the so the Supreme Court and the First Circuit have expressed skepticism that bad faith has um, a lot mm-hmm. of relevance to the fair use analysis. Sure. And um, what do they say? Sure. Copyright is not a privilege reserved for the well-behaved. <laughs> <laughs> that made me laugh. I just had to, that. That was the whole point of that. I had to share that because that was amusing. The parties. Judge Kaczynski from the Ninth Circuit famously wrote years ago in a dispute over some music that the the Aqua's Barbie Girl was subject of a lawsuit that I think ended at the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. Mm -hmm. And he wrote in his opinion, the parties are advised to chill. And that's all I can hear in my head now. Judges can be so great. Parties are advised to chill. Yeah. Yeah. Um, The next thing that they talk about is the defamation claims. And devout credit, and they go back and forth. So they find that Dorland's statements uh, accusing Larson of plagiarism as the 2016 and 2017 letters are not defamatory, which okay. valid, and they shouldn't be because 
they were true. <laughs> I mean, they were true. And she admitted right. that she took it. And, you know, so those were not defamatory. And then they move on to the intentional interference with advantageous business relationships. Um, and they go through the whole test for that. I mean, this is this is a, an opinion, my friends. And it's that is something actually to talk about briefly. Um, when you are thinking about your moves with how to deal with a business situation. Right. You need to remember that you can be sued (laughs) for interfering with someone else's ability to pursue. Yeah. Pursue future business in, in whatever industry that you're in. So you need to move cautiously in that regard. Um, There are different, like I'm saying, you know, obviously here there's a there's a whole, you know, elements that must be uh, engaged in order for it to be found. But yeah, if you are preventing somebody from moving forward with their career because you're mad at them, that's that could end poorly for you. So yes, yes. So basically, Larson failed to satisfy an element of her tortious interference claims. And so that was um, denied. Dismissed. Yeah, that was dismissed. Yeah. Um, so the I'll just go through the, the four pieces here. To succeed, because I think this is important for people, yeah. um, to succeed on a claim of tortious interference with business relationships, uh, a plaintiff must show, one, a known advantageous relationship. Okay. Two, deliberate interference. Okay. Three, improper motive or means, which means mm-hmm. that you're doing it from a bad place. Okay. And then four, resulting economic harm. And that's yeah. that's where she failed there because Larson did Three didn't... and four would have been very difficult to prove here because the woman's literally just lashing out over her own claim of plagiarism against Larson in the first place, which I think a lot of courts would find challenging to declare is a bad act on Dorland's part. And then of course there's really been no money at stake here this whole time. That's the biggest thing. There's no resulting economic harm. She was paid the 300, the $300 um, as part of her contract. And there's no evidence that they pulled, you know, the story, the lawyers raking it in over this, over this, like literally, I look at this stuff. I don't know. This is why I'm not practicing law anymore because I look at this shit. If a client came to me, I'd be like, okay. And so what do you want to get out of this? Like what amount of money could you possibly, what are your damages? That is where my brain goes first every time. And can you explain to me specifically how you've been hurt? Like what, what have you lost or given up or had to pay as a result of this? Like what, what are yeah. we asking the court to do for you here? Exactly. Where are your damages? Yep. And there are no monetary. And so then if there are no monetary damages, which there really have the tortious interference claim yeah. anyway. Yeah. Right. Which there right. really haven't been, you know, I'd be sitting down with my client and saying, okay, just so, just, just so that we're clear, just so you know, I'm going to be racking up a lot of legal bills for you. This yes. is not going to be cheap. Yes. I charge $500 an hour. Yeah. We're talking. And you've got to put 10 grand in my trust account for me to bill from starting today. And this is probably going to cost you between fifty to $100,000 easy. Easily. 
Easy. Easily. Potentially more. If we go to trial. Oh. Six figures. Yeah. Easy. So the damages that you are to potentially get back from this. Yeah. Are not going to equal what you're going to pay to get a potential ruling in your favor. So ask yourself. Just so we're clear. Yeah. Just so we're clear here. Uh-huh. I mean, because that is the fact yeah. that people have this much money to waste on things without damages. A lot of them don't. They take out second mortgages or they max I out mean, their credit cards to finance this litigation. Yeah. What level of ire must you have within your body to, because litigation mm-hmm. is not for the weak hearted. Okay. No. No. Litigation is just dull and awful and rolls on and on. And you keep getting these legal bills and you don't really see anything happening. I got an email two weeks ago from someone tangentially related to a case I worked on at a law firm I, I was employed by when I was still practicing eons ago. This case will, it's eight years old. And I was copied on some correspondence related to it. Still active, still ongoing. Wild. I mean, it, wild. They they can literally take a decade or more in some t- in some instances. Yeah, like, and you're paying your lawyer the whole time. That's going the on. whole time. They don't work for free. This is like a, a massive car payment that you are continuously yeah. paying. Yeah, for your ego in this particular case. Is in all this case, yeah. is all legal is all litigation? You know, there's there's some litigation that is absolutely necessary, in my opinion. Absolutely, and there are some attorneys who will do litigation work on contingency, knowing sure. that if they can get a jury verdict that awards you money, they'll just get paid from that at the end of the case. These didn't. Though. That happens. There's too. no way no. this that happened. Here. No, 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 no way. No. These kinds of disputes, the lawyers are getting paid up front because they know how long it's going to take and how petty it's going to be, and they want to guarantee that they're going to get paid for their work. Exactly. Period. Exactly. And I'm not faulting the lawyers in this situation because mm-hmm. clearly this is a this is a client-driven thing. If the client no Absolutely. longer wants to be part of this, they just have to say, I no longer want to be a part of this. And yep. you know, yep. you're out. But yeah, this this was ho- this was wild. So it's over now. And no one really won. I mean, she No one's really a plagiarist either apparently. No one's really a plagiarist. Well, but she changed it so much that it and it was a commentary Dorlin, upon Like I said, Dorlin, if Dorlin wanted to declare Larson a plagiarist, she should have sued way earlier than she did. Absolutely. Based upon the 2016 thing. Mm-hmm. To be fair, she didn't know about it until 2018. But she shouldn't have contacted her first. She, she should have just then. sued. She should have just yeah. sued. Um, if that was her end goal and like, this is a very good example from one piece of advice I learned from a mentor in my legal field. Um, and that I, we've talked about before and I will reiterate again. Now you can either have your goal or you can have your reaction. Dorlin had her reaction. Yep. And she didn't get her goal. Yep. She had her reaction. She emailed Everyone under the sun. She contacted the press. She went out there and shot her mouth off to anybody who would listen. She had her reaction. She stirred up enough trouble that she opened a door for Larson to get away with what Larson did. Correct. 
So she didn't get her goal. So think about that. <laughs> think about that next time you want to well, have your goal or reaction. And and also maybe just don't steal other people's stories. Oh, like, for sure. What Larson did was not great. Can we start there? Like, yeah. It, I, Larson's getting like, no points author, from me. <laughs> listen, that little disclaimer that you put in the front matter of every book you publish isn't a joke. Like that is legit. That is real. Yeah. And and you should be trying to live by it as a creative person. If you're inspired by real events, do your best to change them substantially. Substantially is make key. them your own. Yes. Substantially is, the, on is the key thing there. <laughs> don't write about Travis and Taylor. Yeah, don't do that. For the love of all things. Holy. Don't steal somebody's Facebook post and literally copy half of it into your manuscript. Don't do it. Poor decision. Authors behaving badly, man. Yeah. I mean, there don't do so many things. There was an author this week that I, I think I sent you the, the video of who was threatening people or threatening a poor woman with, you know, just heinous things, sexually, like sexual assault and oh God, uh, yeah. 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 Uh, just awful. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and throwing that, out her name. That, that's what blew my mind. She's like, this is my name and this is my Instagram and you can find me online. And also you deserve to be like beaten or raped or whatever it was she said. And I think she like hit her car or something too. Like there was. Oh my God. What? There's another classic case of having your reaction rather than your result. Oof. Like what are, what are you doing people? How is that going to help your career? Uh, spoiler alert. It's, it's not. Well, there wasn't much of a career either. After True. a little bit of an investigation, it looks like this particular author yeah, had, uh, hasn't published much in the last four or five years. No. And what she has published was not very well received. Yeah. I, apparently she has three books out and the reviews upon them before the, the review. Before bombing, the incident. Review yeah. bombing that has occurred the, since since the legit The legit reviews were not great either. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know. Her name, I, her name is Lauren Wise. If you would like to Google her, you can Google yeah. this incident yourself and see the heinous things that she said. And well, did. so trigger warning, the incident involves uh, differing political opinions related to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Yes. So like if you're sensitive to that, maybe don't look it up. But also if you're an open book on that, have at. Have at. Yes. Have Thank at. you for that content warning for those who are. Yes. Yes. But yeah, just wild people, the things people say with their whole chests in public. I Like the internet isn't forever. It, right? It's amazing. So authors, take a deep breath. You can have your Please. goal. You can have yes. your reaction. Remember that. I tell my, like I tell my kiddo, just take a minute, smell your cookie. <laughs> Smell your that's, what, that's, that's what we do when we're having a tantrum. We smell our cookies. We take a minute. We smell our cookies. His always smells like chocolate. It's a great choice. I respect it. Yeah, that is a good choice. Yeah. Yeah. I could go for some cookies Deep myself. Breath. I know. Oh my God, y'all. If you're still with us first, thank you. Yes, I know. This was probably <laughs> not the most... The legal weeds are a little dry and way through and Heather and I... We get into this. Because this is well, like what we used to do. It's, yeah, it's it's the marriage of what we used to do and what we currently do. So it's like you we know, were excited about talking yeah. about this. If, yeah. So if, if you want more content like this, <laughs> please let us know. We'll make it <laughs> happily. 
yeah, we love this stuff. Uh, we yeah, understand we it might be dry for some others, though. But if you were looking yes. for an in-depth breakdown of what that whole thing was about, oh my, you're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> and also, if you've made it this far and you'd like your marketing tip for the week, boy, do I have one for you. Yeah, completely unrelated to everything. Give it to us if you're still with us. Don't lose sight of the importance of your tropes and farm them for every bit of marketing support you can get out of them. Okay. And this is, this is regardless of the genre you write in, but of course, especially for our romance landia folks, your tropes should be in your subtitle on Amazon and all of the retailers where you sell your books. Your tropes should be in your blurbs. You should have buzzwords that signal your tropes in your synopsis. You can use your tropes in your advertising, your pay-per-click ads, like, Put your tropes everywhere. Everywhere. Readers. We love readers. Some readers are so voracious and so busy selecting new books. They don't necessarily pay attention to all of the trimmings and trappings. So if you can just deliver them the tropes and it's the trope they're looking for, they're going to smash the buy button or the borrow button and you're going to make your money a lot faster. So farm those tropes for marketing support. And that is your marketing tip of the week. Very good one. Thank you. Thank y'all. And on that, we'll see you next week with another legal issue. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know what we're talking about. (laughs) We'll see you next week.